0: Genesis 41 41 and 42 and Pharaoh said to Joseph see I have set you over all the land of Egypt then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCreary. And I'm Brian Bales. And today we'd like to talk with you about the Bible. Specifically, we are going to deal with Genesis chapters 41 and 42. Specifically, we'd like to deal with Genesis 40 and 41 today. Walking Through the Book is all about these three things we want to encourage Bible reading, we want to demonstrate proper and responsible study of the Bible. And we want to emphasize what the text says, no more and no less. We're so thankful for you taking the time to be with us today. Before we start, we do want to let you know how to get in touch with us. You can find us on Facebook. If you search at Walking Through the Book, you'll find us there. You can also email us, book at protonmail.com. And you can also find the website where this podcast is hosted, northcolumbuschristians.com. That's the website of the church that I work with. In Columbus, Mississippi, the North Columbus Church of Christ uh, Bryant, um, why don't you go over the flow of the program like usual I mean, we're again, we're together today mm-hmm. And uh, again, while he's in town um, doing a gospel meeting for us We decided to try to do it at least one or two episodes while we're here And uh, to test out some new equipment we've got uh, Hopefully it sounds pretty good Hopefully the background noise uh, is not too bad, but maybe it's, maybe it's atmospheric. Maybe yeah, it's a good thing. So. Yep. so. So we're at a uh, coffee shop right now
1: doing this yeah. recording. It's very casual, very nice. So um, you want to go over the flow of the program and let people sure. know how to get in touch with you? Yeah, so you can uh, find the congregation I worship with at GardenCityCOC.org, uh, or you can look us up on Facebook, the Garden City Church of Christ, or uh, feel free to look me up on Facebook, send me a friend's request. It would be great to connect with you or uh, see you in the area of Savannah anytime you're visiting. Um, and the flow of the program is is really simple and uh, really encouraging. Um, so we just read through the section that uh, that we've dedicated for the podcast today, which is like Stephen said, Genesis forty and forty one. And we're just going to fluidly talk about initial observations that came to our minds as we read through the text, and then try to connect some themes together if we can if we can see them in uh, the story of Genesis or the story of the Old Testament, or uh, really connecting to Jesus and the Church as well in the New Testament. And then we'll uh, conclude looking at some applications that we feel like that we can make from the examples on uh, the story that we're going to be reading today.
0: Very good. And we do have, we are covering two chapters. We were looking at Chapter 40, and really it goes completely along with Chapter 41. Uh, so there's no, you know, uh, there's a big flow there that we really don't want to avoid. Ostensibly, we try to go one chapter at a time with this program, but uh, but we are making an exception here. And this is going to be a good bit of reading, but uh, but maybe it'll be helpful for you. I know it'll be helpful for us. Yeah. So I'll be reading from the New King James Version. You're reading from New American Standard? That's right. And uh, I'll read, Bryant will read chapter 40, and I'll read 41.
2: you. Mm-hmm.
1: chapter 40. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials, who were with him in confinement in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream behold there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were 3 branches, and as it was budding its blossoms came out and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's cup was in in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The 3 branches are 3 days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, He said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head, and in the top basket there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation, the three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you, and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off you." Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Chapter 41. And it came to pass at the
0: end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows in the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then, behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody of the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. We each had a dream, and one night, he and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us, to each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to, his, to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you, that you can understand a dream, to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt and the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven the fat cows when they had eaten them up no one would have known that they had eaten them for they were just as ugly as at the beginning so i awoke also i saw in my dream and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk full and good then behold seven heads withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them and the thin heads devoured the seven good heads so i told this to the magicians but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming, to store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried out before him, Bow the knee! So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah, and he gave him as wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was thirty years old when he stood before Pharaoh king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all lands. So in our initial section, we want to look at some things that really jumped out at us in the reading, and uh, you might have uh, heard Bryant flexing during that reading. I hope it wasn't too distracting, but he was noticing things. That's kind of what Bryant does when he notices something; he gets very energetic about it, and uh, you know, thankfully, that uh, energy is uh, very permeating, I would say. So, uh, but Bryant, um, you know, one of the things I thought of just now, even in the reading. I'll tell you something. I, I don't think very much about Joseph's wife.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, I yeah. I, I don't.
0: You know, not, I'm not saying I'm not saying I don't think of her very much in the sense that she's right. she's useless, but in the sense that uh, you know, I, I'm thinking back to learning these stories as a child and growing up with them, and, and you know, I don't think that she's emphasized that much. Of course, the text doesn't emphasize her greatly, but uh, but the bearing of these sons and uh, the fact that he has a family by the time. Uh, his brothers are going to see him. Just um, is really, really interesting to, to keep in mind, and uh, just the g- generally one of the things that are jumping out at me is just how far Joseph rises in so short a time. Right. And uh, again, really, really interesting stuff. What are some things that you you saw?
1: That was really interesting. I think the wife thing is something I noticed. Because you know, S and F. Yeah, because it's interesting that she was the daughter of a priest That's interesting mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting that Manasseh and Ephraim Were children of a Gentile woman, an Egyptian woman And yet they are given, like, each of themselves a portion of the land of Israel And I tend not to think about, like, that, that mixed Joseph and a Gentile woman mm. Kind of interesting
0: yeah, that the half tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. Right. Um, you know, eventually they are given a proper place though. So right. it's an interesting thing to, to, to consider there. But yeah. um,
1: And there's a lot of interesting things. I mean just the whole situation is really interesting. I mean it's hard not to like just be making constant thematic is that the right word? Thematic? Thematic? Right, yeah, thematic. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard not to be making like constant thematic connections because like we said last time, Joseph just has so many clear connections to Jesus. Right, It's just, right. it's unbelievable. And then the connections just become deeper and like see more of it. So most of the things I was noticing were more like thematic connections to the yeah, whole thing. You know? yeah.
0: yeah, I don't think this is going to be like a very quick sec. I, I don't think this is going to be a very long um, initial obs- observation section. But, um, you know, I do want to kind of step through, of course, the story. Joseph meets these men that tells them these dreams, right? And uh, I've always, of course, uh, keep in mind that that it's two more years, it's two whole years that 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 butler, the cupbearer, completely forgets about uh, Joseph. Mm. And uh, but you know, uh, really interesting thing, it doesn't seem, you know, text doesn't make it seem like he holds holds him any bitterness. Um, that's interesting. I will say this, though. The fact that he calls him Manasseh, the term Manasseh, uh, this is just kind of out of the footnote of my Bible here, making forgetful. God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's
1: house. What does your translation say in verse 51? That's that's the same thing. It says God okay. has made me forget all my trouble in, in, and all my father's household.
0: Yeah, that's kind of interesting, too, because it's like, what is that is he is he working through his anger concerning what happened mm. yeah it's like it hurt him that has made deeply. me forget all my father's house
1: i mean he didn't want to forget about them right yeah it's almost like he gave him such an abundant new life
0: yeah yeah you know? in in perspective right in perspective right. it's yeah he's caused him to be fruitful
1: um there's another connection it's just like wow so many connections yeah we're gonna have
0: a whole lot in the next section yeah uh, so but many uh, dramatic things so, yeah, I mean, I think the story is pretty simple, mm. um, pretty plain. Uh, one thing I did want to note is, you know, how come, I wonder why the text doesn't just say, so Pharaoh shared his dream with Joseph, mm. instead of going literally all the way through mm. the visions again. Yeah, that's interesting. You know?
1: Yeah.
0: It could be, I mean, I, I'm, I'm wondering if God is trying to emphasize to the reader Hmm. the certainty of these things because hmm. you know why did why did pharaoh have two dreams that are one right and right. you know, he says you know god wants to make sure that that hmm. you, know, you understand that this is certainly going to you know verse 32 the dream was repeated to pharaoh twice because the thing is established by god and god will shortly bring it to pass hold it back brian just you know <laughs> just chill dude you're okay
1: <laughs> uh, i'm in a um, tunnel it's like
0: Okay. Well, don't zoom
1: off. (laughs) Uh, Like jump out of my chair and run down the stairs.
0: But but I mean, does that mean that like we're we're getting like quad remembrance? Like you know, because I mean, just (laughs) it's it's repeated like that basic idea is repeated four times for the reader. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I mean, that's the way that the Holy Spirit wanted it to be documented, though. So
1: (sighs) there's no doubt there. I'm going to have to say something that's thematic, just because it fits so much with the moment. Uh, It seems like Genesis is where God really establishes the faithfulness of his purpose in Jesus. Like the Melchizedek thing in Genesis 14, it's brought up in Hebrews 7, you know, Romans 9, 10, and 11, where it talks about God's unchanging purpose, you know, things are quoted about Abraham and his children, and then Galatians chapter 3, you know, Galatians chapter 4, so it's like, Hebrews as well talks about, you know, God wanting to prove to the inheritors of his ultimate promise in Jesus, he wanted to show the unchangeables the unchangeableness of his purpose, so he interposed with an oath, and he swore by himself to Abraham. So, like, it seems like Genesis really shows, like, okay, here's what God is purposing, here's the evidence of his purpose, and then the rest of the Bible is, like, the fulfillment of these types to their full conclusion. So I wonder if, like, that's a part of all of this, is Joseph as a figure and his time in Egypt, it really emphasizes that God, God's purpose is absolute and certain, especially when it's been pre-visioned. Hmm. Yeah, there's certainly something there. So, but maybe we should go ahead and move on. Let's see, I'm trying to think. Oh, there was an initial observation that I had. Oh, okay. with um, In chapter 40, I thought it was interesting, it kept emphasizing that the, the cupbearer and the um, baker were in confinement with Joseph. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it just kept saying that over and over. Like they were in prison, they were confined, they were in confinement, they were in prison. It just like it keeps emphasizing that, which which to me is is interesting.
0: Well, and Joseph is over everyone, right? So yeah. Yeah. he's technically over
1: these prisoners too. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. And then just the visions are very are very interesting. You know, like you get so used to these things, but I mean. The dreams, the dreams are are actually quite fascinating, you know. Like the baker and the bread on his head, and the birds eat the bread, and then mm. uh, the cup bear, um, you know, had these vines that he squeezed, and they blossomed, and then he put the cup in Pharaoh's hand, and then you know Pharaoh's dreams with like the gaunt cows. Like it's all it's all very visual, and like as a reader, we can visualize it, you know. And it's like the dreams are communicating. In some senses some very profound truths but there's a incredible simplicity to it so that when you hear the interpretation you're like oh of course and i think that's like the parables of jesus like he taught things that are very visual that unless it's explained like so many parables we read and we're like man what does that even mean Mm -hmm. but it is conveyed in a simple way but if it's explained like the seed and the sower you're like oh of course the seed is the kingdom and the soils are hearts like of course of course but the parables he doesn't explain like I was just reading earlier, um, when he talked about the wine and the wineskins, you know, mm-hmm. like you can't put you can't put new wine in an old wineskin or else you'll burst it. So new wine has to go in a new wineskin, and nobody who's tasted the old wine desires for the new for he says the old is good enough and it's like you read that, and you're like, Well, what? You know, but if he explained it, it would of course be like, Oh, of course. But he doesn't mm-hmm. explain that one. And so I, I wonder if like the simplicity of this is just a direct parallel to, like, how Jesus would teach in parables. It's got to be, you know. And, uh,
0: yeah, and, and I, I will say this, too, though. I mean, the parable of the sower, he says it's the key to all parables.
1: And that's interesting. So yeah. so yeah. that's,
0: you know, that parable helps us to understand other parables. Oh. So, but we're on, that's, that's on another take. You know, we want to keep zeroed in here. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, yeah, I, I really didn't have, didn't have anything else there. I and mean, again, again, it's a really uh, uh, it's a neat story. I think it's cool uh, how everything seems to unfold. Yeah. Um, and so, on that basis, we can glorify God. You know, just the text by itself. But there's a lot of things that we want to get into thematically. Yep. So we'll we'll, we'll go into that next section. So, with the theme section, we want to consider some of the big picture ideas, some of the big overarching things concerning Scripture. We want to connect some threads, and uh, I think there's a whole lot of threads to connect uh, in in these two chapters. Um, you know, just beyond the very very simple story, there's some really interesting things to to consider here. And Bryant, uh, what what were some things that hit you about the first chapter
1: about chapter 40. Well, so first of all, uh Genesis 14, Melchizedek representing Christ's priesthood, who's referenced in Hebrews 7, brought bread and wine to Abraham. And in Hebrews 8, after it's established how Jesus inherited Melchizedek's priesthood, it talks about how priests who are appointed are appointed because of the gifts that they offer on behalf of the people to God. And in Hebrews 9 and 10, Hebrews 9 is about the gift of Christ's blood, and Hebrews 10 is about the gift of Christ's body. So I don't think it's an accident that, you know, providentially or in some way, you know, Melchizedek brought the very two things that symbolized the offering of Jesus' body and blood to inherit that priesthood and bring redemption to all people. It's interesting, in Genesis 40, like we talked about last time, uh, now another figure who is one of the most clear Christ-like figures in the entire book of the Bible— uh it's the cupbearer and the baker i think that's really interesting you know so you've got you've got two people whose offices relate to those two emblems and i think it's interesting so the cupbearer i mean the the baker was hung and in galatians 3 galatians 3:13 3, says that jesus became a curse for us as it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree so Christ's body was hung on a tree to become a curse. And the the baker was was hung on a tree. He was hung uh, so that the cupbearer could at the same time be exalted. So just there's layers here. It's very interesting. Do uh, you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean,
0: again, to sort of reestablish what we discussed last week as well, You know, of course, Joseph is the closest we get in character and symbology to yeah, Jesus so in, in the book of Genesis. And, uh, so he's in this place of authority and you have these people put under him really, who, uh, really are very symbolic, very, very, uh, metaphorical, uh, in terms of, of their purpose in the kingdom of Pharaoh. Mm. Um, and so, but one of them's delivered and one of them is not. Mm. Uh, you know, I have to wonder too, and maybe this is stretching, but, you know, Jesus hung on the cross with thieves on either side, Hmm. right? Hmm. With robbers, with criminals, Hmm. right? Yeah, interesting. Only one of those Hmm. would go with him to paradise.
1: That's really interesting. That's very interesting.
2: Hmm.
0: That might be a stretch, but no, I mean, it's I just think that, something that's, to think that of is, there. That
1: is really, really interesting. Yeah, that's that's a really good connection. I hadn't thought about that at all,
0: but uh, you know, again, uh, some of these parallels we make, we're, we're just sort of like, I don't know think exactly loud, what yeah. that means, no, no, but no, no. you think know, got
1: loud and you end up making connections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, and I think another thing with the two is, you know, the the three days, three days. Yeah. So that's a great point. You know, Luke twenty four. Forty-six. Jesus said that it was written that he would rise after three days. And I think the go-to passage is usually the prophet Jonah, three days in the deep, and then he spat out, which I think is, is absolutely a connection to that point Jesus makes, that it was written three days. But here's one right here, you know, that three days would be the, the time frame between the, the time in prison and the time of their exaltation. Um, all referenced within the dream. Yeah, and, and I think that's another thing is dreams, this... Girl. This all came through vision. You know, in the Old Testament, God had communicated his vision of the Messiah, his vision of the exaltation of the Messiah. So the vision was established. There only needed it to be an interpretation. And I think Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, but especially his crucifixion, was it was like the true interpretation of the vision that no one else could interpret. Because the Jews before Jesus came were trying to interpret the Old Testament scriptures, knowing that it was really talking about a Messiah. But everybody had failed to truly grasp the true interpretation that God allowed them 400 years to know the scriptures and they were following the scriptures they were very dedicated and yet they had so fallen short to interpret the interpretation that they just had no clue at all that Jesus was coming to be crucified on a cross and betrayed so I think it's pretty amazing that just like here only Joseph the man to be exalted knows the fulfillment of the visions Jesus himself was the only one who really understood, even though he was telling everyone clearly before his death that he was going to die, nobody understood except him. And because he was able to both interpret and fulfill it, then he could be exalted through it as well. What do you think about
0: the fact that uh, you know this pharaoh, this king, seeks out Joseph because he's been Suggested to him by the butler, by the cupbearer. Mm. Um, I don't know. There's there some things to, to think of there. Mm. I wonder if, if you know, I, I'm thinking about uh, Felix and Agrippa in the book of Acts, you know, or, you know, what happens when someone who is carrying the truth of God interacts with someone who's a ruler? Hmm. You know, interesting. It, it rarely, it rarely uh, leads to something really good. Mm. And I think too about how, and I think we mentioned this last time. How are how are pharaohs, you know, typically shown in the Book of Genesis? They're typically shown in a fairly positive light, and uh, so. He accepts what Joseph said, which, again, you know, from a worldly perspective, Joseph is doing what nobody in his cadre of magicians and soothsayers could do. Right. Um, similar to Nebuchadnezzar, right? Right. This is a similar situation with with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that only Daniel can interpret. Right. And I think, again, I think Daniel... Uh, enjoys some good things some good results of that because of that mm. um because you know nebuchadnezzar goes even farther than this pharaoh in mm. you know nebuchadnezzar declares that 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 the god of, of daniel is the only god
1: right that he is the god of heaven right right that's a really good point yeah a lot of similarities to daniel and daniel's a very christ-like figure in his time as well mm-hmm. which is really interesting
0: A lot of, of, I mean, again, we mentioned in the other, in last episode, last program, that uh, you you have these threads, you have these similarities, uh, Joseph, Daniel, and Christ, um, you know, I think there are some very real things that that are there. You think about this too, okay, so Joseph left his home, right? Daniel left his home. Mm. Jesus left his home. Hmm, hmm. No, I'm not talking about Nazareth right, with right, Jesus. Right. I, I think you he, he, yeah. he left. He left heaven. Right. Um, no, that's a really good point. And endured
1: uh, uh, trials, endured hard times. Hmm. Yeah, because um, yeah, all of them had to almost like be sold out of their position. Like Daniel to be taken by Nebuchadnezzar was like being sold out of Jerusalem, the place of promise, you know. And then Joseph was sold to Egypt, and Jesus. Jesus really had to sell himself, you know, and this might sound strange, but really the father had to sell Jesus. The father had to be willing to sell his son uh, to the world. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. A couple of other things too is like the cupbearer and the baker were there in prison because of the fury of Pharaoh, you know, and, and Jesus, his body and his blood were shed ultimately because of the fury of God. And I think it's interesting that the cup bearer put the cup back in the Back in Pharaoh's hand, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, You know, let this cup pass from me. And in the prophets, it talks a lot about the cup of God's wrath that causes people to be drunk and stagger and vomit. Mm. Uh, and I wonder if, if Jesus drank that cup of wrath, but then he was able to put that cup back into the hand of the Father. You know, like God's wrath is now subdued because of what Jesus experienced. Mm.
0: Yeah. I don't- I can't think of anything more to to go with there. Uh, I mean, what are some things that you see out of chapter 41? Mm. Man, oh man. Because I mean, I've already kind of dipped into that
1: talking about Pharaoh. Oh boy. But I noticed a lot of things I'd never noticed before. Like one of the things I was thinking is how much it symbolizes Jesus's ministry. Like, in Jesus' earthly ministry, it's like he was was trying to cultivate, he was trying to store up as much life as possible so that we could feed Mm -hmm. off of his life in, in the time of famine. Because really, when Jesus died and rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven, then the earth was a place of determined wrath from that point forward. You know, like the Apostle Paul said in one of his sermons... You know, God at one time winked at times of ignorance, but now is commanding that all men everywhere repent, having testified to this by raising his son from the dead. You know, so Jesus, and I think that was the pressure that was on Jesus that nobody understood and that I don't, I still don't understand. The, the pressure that his his task was not just to be morally perfect, it was to store up as much life as could possibly be stored up. I mean, to to store up as much spiritual life and teaching and lessons so that everyone from that point forward would have an oversufficiency to supply the need that we have to live righteously and soberly, even the oppression of the devil and the famine we live in spiritually.
0: And those who misunderstood that obviously went to some interesting conclusions. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I was just thinking about, you know, Mark 2 and verse 18 disciples of john the baptist and the pharisees are Uh, fasting
1: that's so good
0: and they're asking why do the disciples of john and the pharisees fast but your disciples do not fast so good and so jesus asked this question can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them as long as they have the bridegroom with them they cannot fast but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast in those days um you know you mentioned the the wine and old wineskins and new wineskins, I think one of the biggest parts of that pasture is the biggest parts of that passage, rather than the pasture we're not talking about pasture <laughs> <laughs> biggest parts of um, is, is the, the, the aspect of things fitting mm. you know, what is fitting for this moment mm. and uh, that's such a good connection really, in terms of Joseph of course, it was fitting for them to store up in that time, uh, it was fitting for them to be relatively austere during a very productive time, so they would have something for the hard days ahead. Um, you know, and I think in in that sense, the parallel here would would kind of be along along the lines that while Jesus' disciples were with him, they needed to enjoy that time and right. appreciate that time and yeah, listen to take him. Take it in. Yep. yep you know, yep, you yep. mentioned I think last night. Um, you know Martha and Mary, and that passage where where Martha is, is busy with mm. much serving. You know, mm. tell my sister to come help me. You know, mm. no, no, Mary's chosen that good thing. Mm. Uh, it's not going to be taken away from her. She's sitting at the feet of the master and listening to him. And uh, you know, wouldn't it be great if we if we thought about that? That's and, and a point. You know, because really, in, in in a sense, this is not about physical food. This is not about physical. Things really. This is about building up spiritual treasure, mm. uh, uh, gaining that wealth from God, gaining those riches from God for the times that are harder. Mm. Uh, maybe there's an application there that we'll go into later on. Yeah,
1: that's really good.
0: Um, you know, Joseph. It's interesting, to, interesting to me, and maybe this is an observation as well uh, that Joseph not only interprets these dreams; he's got a plan to, with how to deal with this. Mm. So. Mm. Moving forward, yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when you when you go to somebody and you suggest something, but you don't have a plan. Mm. It's just sort of like, well, okay. <laughs> uh, it, but but really, uh, he has this plan together yeah. for this to say, okay, this is what you need to do. And uh, it's interesting too that that Joseph does not recommend himself. Right. He yeah. he
1: doesn't say, "I'll do this for you." And I wonder if that's like related to Jesus too that. Jesus was doing what was necessary but so humbly it's not as if he was appointing himself he was allowing God's promise to take its full effect and God counted Jesus himself worthy and it's like in Daniel is it Daniel 7 where the son of man is presented before the ancient of days and authority Mm. is given to him and I wonder if that's the thing is when Jesus ascended back into heaven even though in a sense he had the right as a son he did everything he did so humbly that it ultimately was the father who chose to appoint him.
0: Absolutely. And and he carries himself with such humility even around the Pharisees. I wonder if the Pharisees would have gotten in line if Jesus had just simply said, "Hey, mm. you know, I'm the Messiah, you need to follow me." Right, right. You know, what what if he had approached them in that way? Well, right. he, he didn't. Right. Because that wouldn't have been a humble way to go about it. I think he wanted them to figure it out for themselves mm. and, you know, just like his disciples yeah. did. Just like Philip did. Right. When he approached Nathaniel in John chapter 1, he said, We found him of whom Moses and the prophets have written Jesus, uh, Jesus of Nazareth.
1: Wow. What you got? So I was just noticing uh, verse 40, you shall, you shall be over my house. You shall be over my house. You shall be over my house. Let me get there really quick. Hebrews chapter 4. You shall be over my house. I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter yeah. 3. Uh For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. Mm. So when Pharaoh says, you're over my house, I'll only be greater in throne, that's exactly what God did with Jesus. Mm. You're over my house, I'm only greater in throne. You make the decisions, you have the authority but I'll just be enthroned greater than you. That's such a type of Jesus right there. It's the Father and, and the Son, right together. Yep. yep.
0: And how they worked essentially. Yep. Yep. Um, and then you know, th- this is a picture of the kingdom, isn't it? Right. right? It is so much so. I, I he, maybe he had let s- him ride in the second chariot. Right. Jesus is in yep. the right hand of the throne yep. of God. Um, that the they cried out before him, bow the knee. Philippians two ten. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. There you go. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. So uh, there was something else, but I, I'm, I've, I've missed it now. But Verse
1: 44, a lesson in authority. Go ahead, read it. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Hmm. And that's like the land of his authority. So if I'm in the kingdom of heaven, you know, as, as hard as it may seem for the world to view authority in that way, That's the reality of the authority of Christ is without his word, we should never raise a hand or foot. And I mean, that is because Jesus says, you know, I say nothing unless the father has allowed me to say it. I do nothing except what the father has given me to do. And he shows how joy bringing that is. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus wasn't living an oppressed life as some slave of the father. He was living the the most liberated life he could. Mm -hmm. I think that has clear application to our worship, as is oftentimes not treated well in the world. But just even in general, like I can go to my workplace by the authority of God. I can I can speak by the authority of God. I can even enjoy my free time uh, by the authority of God. Like everything in my life, Christ has spoken on, so that there can be there can be the authority of God carrying and compelling everything that I do. I think I remember
0: in high school. Just random memory that uh, someone asked me one time in a religious discussion. Well, you know, God doesn't say that we can go to the movies. Mm. God doesn't say we can drive cars. Right. You know, and and it's the same level of uh, absurd logic I think that some brethren bring to the table. For example, God doesn't give us authority for songbooks. Right. God doesn't give us authority for a building. Well, okay, you could say that. But is that really true? Right. I believe God gives us authority for a building, by the way, by telling us we need a place to meet. Mm-hmm. I think God gives us authority for psalm books by saying, sing sing from the heart. you know, you got to have something to sing. Everybody needs to be sort of on the same page. We don't want it to be chaotic. Uh, so it, it we really do a disservice to the authority of God, and we misunderstand the authority of God mm. when we're uh, reaching for those things.
1: Right, because it's, it's not necessarily that God is... And I guess I need to clarify this. It's not that God is micromanaging our lives. Mm. What I mean by that is, it's not it's not that God is from the time I wake up saying, "Okay, go here." Okay, now five minutes have passed. Now grab your keys. Now go here. Now lift your hand here. Now say this. Now look here. Now do this. You know, <laughs> there, there's there's liberty within His command, but but there's still that sense of uh, God's authority can yield all that I do into submission to Him. You know that I can I can be pure and clean. And pleasing to God in everything that I do, when I operate in the boundaries of even the liberties He gives, but keep myself in the boundaries of His will as well. Mm. Yeah, it, it's a
0: it's a mindset thing, right? Right. And so, you know, kind of back to that question: Well, God doesn't give us authority to uh, to go to the movies. Well. If the movie I'm going to is going to be damaging to me spiritually, then mm-hmm. I recognize that is outside of the authority of, Christ, of, right. of God. Right. But if it if it does not damage me spiritually, um, it seems like that's harder and harder <laughs> to happen these days. You know, it seems okay. like just about every uh, uh, kind of media thing will do some damage to us if we're not careful, if we don't properly understand it. But uh, you know, same thing with driving a car. God. Uh, authorizes me to go right he doesn't tell me how he says go and make disciples
1: how am I going to go and I think any any way that I go is valid right and I think like when you look at the Old Testament the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes you know and and this has to be taken of course in, in proper subjection to the desire to give our hearts fully to the Lord you know but Ecclesiastes talks about how you know God gives us things in life to enjoy life and he tells the youth even like Put away anger and sorrow from your heart. Enjoy life, but remember that God will bring every act into judgment. You know, so God's given us life full of liberties, so that we can we can learn to yield to Him joyously, and we can learn to give ourselves fully to His will, not because we're forced into it, or because we're so uh, we're so pressed down that we begrudgingly decide that that's just the only way, and you know, every every other way is too disparaging. And while the, the, ways, the ways of the world are disparaging, God ultimately compels us to make the choice through his grace and through revealing the wrath that he exercises against sin through the cross. But, but I think, you know, enough said on that. Um, one thing that I uh, thought of
0: was in verse, verse 55 is kind of fascinating to me in the sense that uh, if you link that up with John chapter 2 what does Jesus' mother say when Jesus and his disciples are at this wedding they run out of wine she uh, approaches him and says they have no wine and he says woman what does your concern have to do with me my hour is not yet come which by the way uh, just nickel nickel lesson here Uh, i don't think that term woman is condescending i think it actually was a term of affection uh, in the culture but in verse five it says his mother said to the servants whatever he says to you you to do do it it's the same thing that pharaoh is saying about joseph go to joseph whatever he says to you do that's Hmm. really interesting Hmm. um and it, and it again, it, it speaks toward the power of Jesus, and I think it kind of lines in with what we've already been talking about. But mm. that's just another thread to consider. Um, and, and it's interesting too in that passage, by the way, in John two, that even though it seems like Jesus says my hour has not yet come, mm. he goes ahead and helps. And I don't think he helped because his mother roped him into it or something like, or guilted him into it. I, I think it's where you know Jesus wanted to help, and he. Uh, allowed this to happen um, and you know in the same way it seems like Joseph is put into this position where he's going to do all, think about the work that's involved with this, mm. think about how hard this work is going to be
2: mm.
0: now I know Joseph isn't doing all this himself, I'm going to assume that he's has other people, servants and help in, in accomplishing this, but even in terms of organizing this mm. and figuring it out um you know i would be <laughs> very intimidated mm. if uh you know let's just say if the mayor of columbus c- came to me and said hey we're gonna we know that things are going to be tough later on we need you to organize uh you know even just a food drive or something that effect it'd be like right. oh okay you know yeah. not that he would ever ask me to do that i'm just saying you know uh, uh i would be really intimidated by that that's interesting but Joseph seems to launch into this work mm. and really make it uh, make it a a,
1: a a real priority here. Mm. That's really good. That's really interesting. So I think it's interesting in verse fifty through fifty-two. Uh, I wonder if this is an example of like conversion in the kingdom. You know, God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. You know, Jesus in Luke 18, 29 and 30, when uh, Peter, the rich young ruler had refused to follow Jesus. And Jesus talked about how, you know, it's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Peter says, well, look, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. And then Jesus says, you know, there's no one who has left houses, farms, uh, family, uh, relatives, children, wives, uh, for the kingdom of heaven, who will not receive a hundred times as much as in the present time and in the in the age to come, eternal life? You know, so Jesus is giving us the promise that you know what, if if we'll just trust Him and trust His command and recognize how lifeless and devoid of life all the things of the world are, God will not let us down when we invest into His kingdom full heartedly. You know, so I think it's like what Joseph is saying here: God can make us forget the troubles of our life lives apart from him. And he's able to provide so much abundance for us. If we'll just seek him and his promises that God will make us fruitful, even though even in the land of our affliction.
0: That's so real, Brian. I've seen it in my own life. You know, that that if you really, uh, run in the kingdom or run with the kingdom and make friends in the kingdom, right. You know, uh, even if family disappoints you, you, know, you can hold on to your brothers and sisters in right. Christ that that love you dearly that are that are there to help you, there to correct you sometimes, there to you know push you along in, in service to God. So that, that that's a very very good point to to consider there, and, and the mercy and grace in God and in, mm. in, in allowing this coupling. You know, again, it's it's the sort of aspect that. Joseph is benefiting from this and what else is he going to do? I mean mm. it's not like he is able to tell Pharaoh to get a wife from Canaan right you know uh, he's put into this position and he's given so much I think because of it and uh, and it all kind of co- goes back to God's grace. I, I don't again I think we talked about this uh, the last program there, there's nothing about Joseph uh, himself. Uh, that I think God just kind of automatically okay, boom, you know right. it, it's, it's an in- instance where uh, it wasn't his own labor that produced this it's simply being in God's grace being a fit
1: tool for the master mm. and understanding the importance of that mm. so I think it's interesting that um, there wasn't some strict requirement for the peoples to come like they just had to come like, mm-hmm. all they had to do was see that there was no food where they were and just go to Egypt and they would get it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And in Revelation twenty two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, Come, let the one who hears say, Come, let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. So that's the thing is, like, God just wants us to see our need, and if, if we see our need, he'll give us, he'll give us life. And I think mm. it's an amazing type is when Jesus was set as the king of heaven and earth, his requirement is only that we see that we need to go to him and our desperation has to be such as Stephen you just pointed out you know whatever he says to you do it Mm. like if, if i realize how desperate and lifeless the condition i'm in really is because of sin that will be the most wonderful command you know man do whatever he says wow great because everything i've done and everything i've thought has been so evil and so lifeless so painful it's caused so much division and misery. And it's hurt God so badly. Just please tell me what I need to do to get this life. And God will do it. Just like Joseph here. If people came, and it says in verse 57, all the people of the earth were coming to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Isaiah 60, 12-14 talks about in the time of the kingdom, God's people would be so exalted that people would come and bow down to them and strangers and those who had afflicted them at one time would come to them. So it's interesting that you have a parallel between Genesis 41 and Isaiah 60.
0: with the final section of application. What do we learn? What do we pull from this? What is the practical benefit for my life? Um, You know, one of the main things, I think, is be ready for anything. Hmm. Uh, Be ready for opportunities to be useful for God. Um, You know, so many of us, I think, we miss out on the proper kind of opportunities to help God and to work in His kingdom. Maybe because we're not really being all that we can be in that moment Mm. and uh maybe we hurt our influence in that way Mm. joseph's influence is is great it it's it's ready to go Mm. i would venture to say if he had been a bad prisoner if he had been misbehaving uh could he have really been able to even really listen Mm. to these men would they have sought out his help Mm. in interpreting these dreams Mm. i'm not sure
2: Mm.
0: so we need to be ready Uh, We need to be fit for the master's use. We need to be useful for his kingdom. I think also we can consider that in sharing God's truth, we can gain much, much, much benefit. And of course that's uh, that's not something that is limited to the physical realm and probably will not happen very much in the physical realm. But as we spoke about before, and we've mentioned already, uh, storing up spiritual riches, mm-hmm. uh, the riches of the kingdom of heaven, um, I think that's really one of the core aspects of what we might be looking at here. Right.
1: You got anything on that? Well, I think kind of on the idea of dreams, uh, you mentioned um, the parable of the seed in the sower being the key to all the parables. You know, Joseph really emphasizes that the interpretation comes from God. And I wonder if Jesus, through parables and through that parable, is teaching that now God gives each of us the ability to interpret his word, which is, which is the greatest vision that was ever given. And so we can understand parables. We can understand the Old Testament. We can understand God's word. We can understand prophecy and, and types and the, and, and the writings of the prophets. But we have, to, we have to have the heart condition that holds on to God's word through understanding its quality and place and the position it inevitably is working to put us in. So I think when we when we value Jesus and when we understand the value and the substance of what his word really is meant to be for in our lives, it motivates it motivates that that active waiting, you know, that I want to know, I want to understand. And I think that's why Jesus specifically told the interpretation of that parable to his disciples is because they were exactly that. They were disciples. They wanted to know, so they asked. Mm-hmm. You know, and so and so that's the thing is with, with scripture I should want to know. I should I should be so amazed that I'm now equipped myself to have the key to understanding the kingdom and understanding the nature of, of God himself so intimately. So I think, you know, Joseph with these dreams, it was a matter of importance and understanding scripture is a matter of importance because it's clearly meant for something important. And there's a position and a purpose that's very important, but I can't, I can't get into that position without understanding the vision itself, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, the, the, the thirst and the hunger for righteousness is not in everyone. Right. And it's not something that comes naturally. It is something that has to be learned, uh, Maybe I have to get down to the lowest point in my life To be able to mm. realize that I need to look up And get out of this pit Right. Uh, to be able to see Who I really am and what I really am uh, Too many of us We want to assume that there should be no guilt That I should mm. never feel guilty about anything But that is Simply the devil speaking to us And mm. he, he wants us to think That nothing is our fault That everything is something I can blame on someone else Uh, So, and and Joseph could, you know, we've dealt with that. Joseph could have lived his life with that. Mm. But I venture to say he wouldn't have gone as far as he did if he had had that attitude. And God
1: wouldn't have helped him. Right. And I think another application is to know that Jesus' authority isn't based on my preference. And it's not set up like the governments of the world necessarily. So we really have to let God define the nature of Jesus' position and authority. And I think this is such a good example to see Jesus in the right way. Like the way that Pharaoh marked Joseph so clearly and publicly marched him around and demanded that everyone bow the knee and made a very public display of the fact that he was so close to Pharaoh and, and, and that his authority was to be respected. And that's the thing is we really do need to see the person of Jesus and understand the person of God to really understand that degree of authority. But that's just something we really do need to be aware of that one of the one of the big things that gets misunderstood in the world is how do we respond to the authority of Christ? And I just think this is such a good example in Genesis of that.
0: You know, that that kind of goes right along with that concept of, you know, store up during your plentiful times. Mm. You know, there there are some parts of our lives even, you know, our lives as Christians where things seem to be going well, and maybe we feel like we're really we really feel fulfilled, and we really feel like uh, we really appreciate the, the truth that God is showing us in His scriptures, and and we're growing, and maybe maybe we're you know I, I mean I, I count myself in 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 some aspect of this that you know, I believe I worship with some brethren that are very honest and very sincere in their love for God, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, but you know you need to store up that. For the times that aren't going to be so easy times that are going to be harder um it it, it, it's another thing where where you know testing those foundations going back and recognizing okay Mm. am i really who i think i am Mm. is god really who i think he is Mm. and uh Mm. that's going to help us that's going to help us going forward that in those times of discouragement times where i question you know is anybody does anybody care about me does anybody care about god mm. you know does anybody care about uh uh you know compassion or love you know and there are many people i think that might be asking that question you know where is the good in the world or you know uh maybe they maybe they're realizing that maybe they're thinking that they're not worth anything mm. you know that 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 i'm just useless there's no no point to me well there was a point to joseph and again he could have wallowed in that he could have uh he could have said, well, I'm just rejected and I'm, I'm never going to see my father again. Mm. I'm never going to see my brothers again. Um, and, you know, what's the point? But I think Joseph maintained his his place. Uh, mm. I think he maintained his holiness. You know, one interesting thing here too um, is that, that even the world sometimes can see some evidence of this. You know, if you stick to it and you hold to God... You know, even the world can see some aspect of this. Um, yeah, I want to kind of bring up, uh, it was a documentary I saw on Netflix a while ago, and I think we've talked about this, Brian, before, just not, not on this podcast, but just individually, the, um, the one about Exodus oh, and yeah, the fellow yeah. that goes to Egypt and everything. And uh, apparently they found this old part of Egypt where the Hebrews supposedly lived, and they found a tomb... Of a man that has uh, got a statue with a multicolored robe, mm. and there are, uh, you know, there are the right number of graves there for Joseph and his brothers, basically. Mm. Um, you know, again, I don't know if that's Joseph's grave or not, but you know, there are things like that that are left behind, and I, I think we need to ask ourselves, you know, what's what's my legacy going to be? What's going to be left behind with me? And, uh, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with the physical. Again, it's storing up the spiritual riches Mm. and uh, and holding to God's word so that I can appreciate that abundant inheritance and I can
1: have that inheritance for eternity. Mm. So speaking of uh, what you were saying, like riches for eternity, and you mentioned earlier storing up riches in heaven. I wonder if there's an application, verse 53 through 57, of also like how we deal with temptation because inevitably, God promises there's going to be famine spiritually. Like there's going to be times where I'm going to be pressed mm-hmm. uh, and tested, and I wonder if giving into temptation is is a sign that I'm actually not storing up. I'm, I'm really not storing up the kind of riches in heaven that are sufficient to keep me grounded. Because Jesus promises that if we hear His word and do it, and are effectual doers, you know we'll be able to resist. And anyway, I just I wonder if like you know, when we're not being tempted and we're not facing tragedy of some kind that can really press us uh deeply. If if that's a time to, you know, rejoice and and obey and and just really come to know God and comprehend God. And I think there's a way to do that. I talked to someone about this just recently. Um the need to actually apply the discipline of meditation, you know, not not praying. Or reading scripture but just actually meditating on the truth of God and Satan and my relationship to God and the things that Satan does to try to turn me away from God because so often like a, a failure to resist temptation is I, for me personally it's it's always a matter of comprehension just like if somebody, if somebody knew about Egypt and the bread here and they lost their food but they still refused to go it's like there's, there's an issue of comprehending the need and, and the place to go and the desire. And so, I don't know. I, I think there's there's ways that we can store up appropriate spiritual treasure and riches and food so that when the time comes where there's a difficulty, uh, that I'll, I'll have what I need to comprehend God in a way sufficient to keep me driven to stay faithful. Kind of like Jesus on the cross, you know? Well, that's the way it works
0: in the world, right? I mean... When you don't save up money Mm. Right And you consistently Spend money on flighty things And you give in to your temptations of stuff And things like that You know when the hard times come You don't have anything saved up You don't have anything ready to cover that And so what what happens Sometimes people go into debt Sometimes people lose uh, what they have Uh, So I mean That's a real world world principle That is inescapable Right and so, in that same sense, I think I think what you're saying is is absolutely the truth of it, Brian. Mm-hmm. We're so grateful for you spending the time with us today. Uh, we hope it was useful for you. Next time, Lord willing, we'll be going into Genesis 42, where we see Joseph's brothers uh, returning or going to Egypt—not returning, but going to uh-huh. Egypt—and uh, Joseph's uh, ultimate reunion with his brothers and. We're really on the tail end of this book. It's really kind of fascinating when we get to the end of Genesis. That'd be really, really an interesting place to get to with this podcast. I know we've been doing this for over a year now, and just really, uh, really, really neat experience. Thank yeah. you so much, Brian. Uh, it's been great, constantly encouraging. Mm. Well, uh, until that time, uh, study well and be lights to God's glory. O